Well, turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter, of course, 1 Samuel chapter 1. We're going to start really our study at around verse 19. We're continuing our looking at this study we started just a couple of weeks ago. The book is powerful because it actually shows the contrast uh, as the nation of Israel moves from the time of the judges, which were deliverers, fighters, so to speak, to the time of the kings. And we're going to see that. And of course, God raises up the final judge, that's Samuel. And then he see Samuel then transitions over to the first king, Saul, and then later to King David. The story of, of the first Samuel, the book that we're studying, has really three key people in the book. The boy is Samuel. He's actually a prophet, a priest, and a judge, which is really unusual. Most people didn't have three offices. He did. He was a prophet, which proclaimed the word of God. He was a priest, which he served in that way. And then he was also a judge. And the word judge there is team in Hebrew, which actually means a deliverer. It doesn't just mean somebody who makes decisions. He did do that, but uh, that's, what he, that's what he did. Then there's Saul, who was the first king of Israel. He started really great, and he ended really poorly. So we, we looked at his life, or we're going to see him in, in more detail. And then, of course, King David. David is a man after God's own heart. And in 1 Samuel, David is a man who trusted God because David was supposed to be the king. Saul is the king. And David kept saying, I will trust God that whenever it's time for me to be the king, I'll be the king. So this morning, as we study, we're seeing an answer to prayer. And it's always good when, you know, we pray and say, oh, I hope, Lord, please answer this. And then we actually see a prayer and the answer to prayer in our passage. Hannah had prayed for a son. She wanted a son, and we're going to see that uh, that she gets a son. His name is going to be Samuel. We're going to see uh, three things this morning. We're going to see the birth of the son. We're going to see the dedication of that little boy, and then we're going to see Hannah's prayer and praise. That's chapter 2. We did not read those verses, but we're going to look at it as we go through them. Well, as we start, let me ask you this question. I just want you to think out loud for a second. What, what, um, how do you view God? How do, uh, some people view God in a in like distant. They say, you know, God was just uh, he's this, this being that it just created the world or put the world out there, and it just kind of goes on its own. Some people say, no, no, God's much more personal than that, but he's, he's sort of mean. He's like, he's looking down, and he's waiting to see if you're going to make a mistake, and then he's going to come get you. Others say, no, 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 it's not like that at all. He's like a big grandfather. He's like in the rocking chair, and then you just, whatever you want, you just ask God, and he'll try to get it to you. And then some others say, no, he's like holy and set apart and righteous and unapproachable, and he dwells in unapproachable light, that kind of thing. Well, how do you view God? Well, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, God is revealed in a lot of different ways. And over the years, we studied uh, the names of God and the character of God and all those things. And this morning, we're going to see Hannah's view of God. We're going to see she's the one that prayed for her son. She gets the son. And when she dedicates her son, in chapter 2, basically verses 1 through 10, she actually has a prayer. It's called the Song of Hannah. And we're going to look at it. It is amazing because she lists and talks about God. And she lists at least eight things about God. And we'll see it as we go through it. She gives a praise and a prayer, and it's really an amazing thing. So let me break down the passage for you. Here's what we're going to do. In verses 19 and 20, we see the answered prayer the son is given. And then verses 21 through 28, basically, Hannah keeps her vow. She made a vow. We'll talk about what the vow is in just a minute. She dedicates her son to God. And then we'll, and when we get to 2, 1 through 10, we'll go fairly quickly through that. I just want you to see it. I want you to see how it fits together. That's where she talks about, about God. 
and what's he's like. Let me give you the background. That we're transitioning the nation of Israel. They had come into the land. They turned away from God. God would allow enemies to conquer them. And then there was the time of the judges in which there were people like Samson and Ehud and Deborah and Barak and Ethniel and Ahad and all these people that were, were judges that were raised up. And remember, judge means a deliverer. Well, the very last judge we're going to see is the man named Samuel. And he's going to be used to help deal with the enemy called the Philistines. And then they're going to be the first king, Saul, and the second king, David. The problem with the nation has turned away from God. And it says in the book of Judges 21, verse 25, that everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And that's what we have. We met a family last week. The man's name is Elkanah, and he has two, two wives. He's not supposed to have two wives, but he does, and there's conflict in the family. One of the wives has at least four children. She has two son, at least two sons and two daughters. The other wife is named Hannah, and she doesn't have any children. And the one with the children continually fusses with the one who doesn't and makes fun of the one who doesn't. At that day and time, if you were a woman and you didn't have any children, then somebody might say, what's wrong with you? Something's wrong with you. God's not really blessing you. If God was really blessing you, he'd give you a child. And so here's one of the wives. She has at least four kids, and she sort of gets on to the one who doesn't have any children. And this has been going on for years, and there's great conflict. They go up every year to a place called Shiloh where the tabernacle is. Now, it's not the temple. The temple hadn't been built yet. That won't be built until Solomon. But it's a place in which they worship and offer sacrifices. And there's a priest named Eli, and he's an old man. He's probably in his 80s. It, the Bible uses the term fat. He says he's really a heavy guy. He's fat, and he's getting to the point where he can't see. He has two sons that are actually serving in the tabernacle, and they're evil. They're bad boys. They steal the sacrifices. They have sex with women. They're, they're doing everything wrong you could name. Eli doesn't do anything about it. We'll see it later on what happens. So Eli's there, and when the family comes to worship, the, they fuss and fuss. The woman fusses the one that has the kids and says, you don't have kids. You don't have kids. She finally, as years go by, she gets up, and one year, she gets up and she goes to the tabernacle. This is Hannah, no children, and she sits, gets before God, and she starts praying. And she's not saying anything out loud. Her lips are moving, but she's not saying anything, and she's praying that God would give her a son. And old Eli sees her, and he thinks she's drunk because she's not making any noise. And he says, woman, what are you doing up here, drunk? And she says, oh, I'm not drunk. I'm just pouring out my heart to God. And then Eli says, well, God will, will answer your prayer. May God bless your prayer. And she goes, oh, oh, okay, great. So she thinks she's going to have a son. And that's where we ended last time. Now, she prays for a son. And here's what she said she would do. She made a vow. If I have a son, he'll be dedicated to God. Now, they're from the tribe of Levi, which meant automatically their sons served at the tabernacle. But they didn't serve until age 25. That's when they started. She says, the moment I have this boy, once I have a baby boy, once he gets a just touch older, of course, I'm going to dedicate him to God right then. The second thing she said she was going to do, that he would be a Nazarite. Now, let me remind you, a Nazarite is a vow Nazarene means somebody from Nazareth. That's Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. A Nazarite is not somebody from Nazareth. A Nazarite is a vow. 
A person could take a vow, they would shave their head, they would offer a sacrifice, and then they would go a, a long time and let their hair grow back long again. And then at the end of a certain time, they would go in, offer a sacrifice, and shave their head again. That was called a Nazarite vow. She says, my little boy is going to be a Nazarite from the day he's born. That means he would never drink wine, he would never touch something dead, and he would never cut his hair. And Samson, I mean, Samuel is going to be a Nazarite. That's her vow. And that's why when you look at Samuel in the Bible, he's got a lot of hair. Now, there's been a few other Nazarites that you find in the Scripture. One of them was Samson. He had the long hair. And then one was John the Baptist at the time of Jesus. John the Baptist was a Nazarite as well. So that's her vow. And we're going to see that she made a vow. Oh, Lord, if you'll give me a son, I'll dedicate him to the Lord, and he'll be a Nazarite. If you look at verse 17 of chapter 1, Eli answered and said to her, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant your petition that you've asked of him. He just says, May God answer your prayer. She said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. She went back to the meal. Now, every time they'd have a meal in the past, the other wife would get on her. She wouldn't eat. She'd get up and leave. This time she came back, and she's eating. Why is she eating? Because she's happy. Why is she happy? She's going to have a boy. She's going to have a boy, and she's going to dedicate him to God. That's her plan. And let me just say this. We have a God who answers prayer. You, you can lift your prayer requests up to God anytime, anyplace, anywhere, about anything. When the ladies have their prayer night, it is going to be so special. And if you're a lady, you need to come that night because it's going to be unique. And you can, we, can, we can lift up our prayers. The Bible tells us to be anxious for nothing but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let our requests be made known to God and the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. That's Philippians 4, 6, and 7. So God answers prayers. Now, he always answers. Answer may be yes, answer may be no, and the answer may be wait. But he answers prayers. Well, let's see what happens. They're, they're, they're there. She's come back, and she's all happy. So look at verse 19. Then they arose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord, that's the family, and returned again to their house in Ramah. Now, Ramah was not very far from Shiloh, not very far. And with Hannah, his wife, and, and the Lord remembered her. So it says, he came back, and Elkanah had relations with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So they come back home, and they have relations, and it says God remembered. Now, one thing you've got to always remember is that God is sovereign. God is working all things according to the counsel of his will. He does what he pleases. He's working out his plan. She's asked for a son, and in God's sovereignty, he's going to give her a son. This is the key. Now, let me remind you of something. This is something that you may not know. In that day and time, if you're Jewish and you were a man... And you said, I vow before God that I'll be there on Thursday. If you're a man and you made that vow, you had to be there on Thursday. That's your vow. If you were a man and you made a vow, you had to keep it. If you were a woman and you were a girl and you're still under your father, you're not married, you're a single woman, and you're living in your household, and you made a vow and you said, I vow I'll be there on Thursday, your father could say, nope. Nope, I cancel out the vow. A daddy could cancel out a daughter's vow. If you were a wife and you said, I vow I'll be there on Thursday, if you were the husband, you could say, nope, nope, I cancel out the vow. So a daddy 
or a husband could cancel out a daughter or a wife's vow. Now, a man makes a vow. You couldn't cancel it out. You had to keep your vow. So when Hannah came back and said, I made a vow that when we have the son, I'm going to give him to God and he'll be a Nazarite. Elkanah and I could have said, nope, nope, no way. But he didn't. He basically said, whatever you said goes. So when that baby's going to be born, she's going to have to keep her vow because he didn't cancel it out. We'll see that in just a minute. I just want you to understand how that works. So it says, when they rose up early in the morning, they worshiped before the Lord and returned again to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah had relations with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And by the way, I want to put this up, that Numbers 30 verses 1 through 8 talk about how a father and a husband could annul the vow of their either their daughter or their wife. They could do that. Now look at verse 20. It came about in due time after Hannah had conceived that she gave birth to a son. There he is. And she named him Samuel, saying, because I've asked him of the Lord. Now she names him Samuel. And most, Samuel means ask of God. Now, let me just be honest with you, that, that when you look at the passage, the E-L on the end, Samuel, actually the, the name L is the name for God. And the first part of the name Sam can also, in the Hebrew, it can be to ask or it could be from Shema, which is to hear. So his name could mean hear of God or ask of God. She's calling him ask of God. Notice what she says. It came about in due time that Hannah had conceived. She gave birth to a son and she named him Samuel saying, why? Because I have asked him of the Lord. So she's calling him Samuel, ask of God. Remember, God is a God who answers prayers and we can ask him up. So look what happened. Then the man Elkanah, this is now like a, a good while later. Then the man Elkanah went up with his household to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and pay his vow. It came around again that a Jewish male had to go at least three times a year, but this is, this is once a year they would go at a special time. Now she's had the baby, and let's say that the, she got pregnant pretty soon when they got back the first time, and so, the, so probably the baby's about three months old when Elkanah decides it's time to go back and offer another sacrifice. So look what it says. Then the man Elkanah went up with his household to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. He's ready to do that. But notice verse 22. But Hannah did not go up. For she said to her husband, I will not go up until the child is weaned and I'll bring him that he may appear before the Lord, notice carefully, and stay there forever. She's actually saying, I'm not going to go up there until, I will not take Samuel up there until he's weaned, until he doesn't have, he doesn't have to have me, he doesn't need me. Then I will bring him forever. Now, you know what she's saying? She's got, in that day and time, they weaned their children three to four to five years old. Well, let's just say he's five years old. She's going to take a five-year-old boy up to the tabernacle where old man Eli is and his two bad sons and she's going to give him there and leave him there. Notice she said, and he will be there forever. That's her plan. That's her vow. That's what she's going to do. She's not forgotten her vow. Now, I've got several things to think about. I want you to think about. Number one, what a sacrifice for her. She's wanted a son, what, all her life? But what's her vow? As soon as I get this boy, I'm giving him to God. Second thing is that's a sacrifice for, for her. But what about Elkanah? His son. He'll say, wait, wait, uh, the son's going to be there. Yeah. And then here's the other thing to think about. You're Eli, and you're about 88 years old, 
and you can't hardly see, and you can't hardly move around, and they're bringing you a five-year-old, right? Now, Elkanah had two sons, and they were bad. Now, it is true that there were women that stayed around the tabernacle to serve and minister. And it could be that they think, okay, well, you know, the women can help look after this little boy. That could be what they're thinking. We don't know. So, she's not forgotten her vow. Look at verse 23. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Remain until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord confirm his word. You know what he's saying? You've got to keep your vow. Elkanah said to her, keep your vow. God's going to hold you to this. See, Elkanah didn't cancel out the vow. He could have at the beginning, but it's too late now. She, made it. she can't come to him and say, you know what? I, I've changed my mind. I don't really want to take my boy up there. Elkanah can't say, okay, I'll cancel it out. It's too late. The daddy or the father or the, or the husband has to cancel it out immediately. If he didn't, then it's on. And so this baby is on. And so we're going to see the dedication. Now, look what happened. Here's going to be the dedication of the son. Verse 24. Now, when she had weaned him, she took him up with, with her and a three-year-old bull, one F of a flower and a jug of wine, and brought them to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, although the child was young. Now, she took a bull, and then, listen, here's what they would do. It's called a burnt offering. They kill the bull, put it up on an altar, and burn it up. She takes the bread and makes that and cooks that on top of the deal. And then she takes the wine. She doesn't drink the wine. They pour the wine out. This is all symbolic of a sacrifice, a, a, of giving of your life, of a, of a full sacrifice. And what she's saying is, I'm offering my son as a sacrifice to God, that his life would be set apart by God. That's what she's planning to do. And, no, and, and, and by the way, and we can do the same. You say, we don't offer sacrifices. Yeah, yeah, we do. We don't offer animal sacrifices. Jesus is the final sacrifice for sin forever. But we can, according to the book of Hebrews, we offer the sacrifice of praise. We offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving. In Philippians, we offer a sacrifice of giving. And in Romans 12, 1 and 2, we offer the sacrifice of our lives. When we say, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. So every one of us in this room can offer our lives as a sacrifice. Now, this is not salvation. I have to be very clear. Salvation is a gift, and it costs us absolutely nothing. We turn our trust in Jesus Christ, and he gives to us eternal life, and we're saved and saved forever. It's not based on what we do. Offering our lives is for service. It's for rewards. It's for service for God. And this is what we say to God. I know I, I have eternal life. I'm already saved. I want to give you my life in service. I hope and pray that all of you who have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior, not only you know you have eternal life, but you would offer your life to God in service. Let me say this. You will never be the same. Well, look what happens. So verse 25, they slaughtered the bull and they brought the boy to Eli. Now, can you imagine Eli? Eli's sitting there, and this woman comes up and says, here's this boy. And he's looking at her like, who are you? And then she says to him in verse 26, she says, oh, my Lord, as my soul lives, my Lord, I'm the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. That was probably five years ago. 
Eli probably can't remember two weeks ago, and she's saying, don't you remember when I was here five years ago with this boy, you know, I wanted a boy? She said, oh, Lord, as your soul, soul lives, I'm the woman who stood here beside you praying for the Lord. For this boy I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition, which I ask of him, so I've also dedicated him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord. And that's what she says, I've de dedicated to the Lord. Think about Eli. You could see Eli going, what am I going to do? with a five-year-old boy. I've got two other sons. They're grown, by the way. They're priests. They're terrible. You could almost say, like, go, I'm not that good at raising kids. Don't bring me a five-year-old boy. But he's going to take that child. He knows this is from God. And then look how it ends. Look how the verse ends. And he worshiped the Lord there. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. We don't know who the he refers to. Some say it may be Elkanah, maybe he's there. Some say it may be little Samuel, or some say it's Eli. I think it's Eli. I think Eli's worshiping the Lord. Well, think about this. This is glad for her. She has a son. He'll be in service for God. This is sad for her. She'll be leaving him there. Now, by the way, uh, it's not very far from Ramah to Shiloh, and she could visit him. And it also says in the Bible that she came every year and brought him a special coat to wear. So every year she said, here's your coat for the next year. And she would do that. And so she would see him. It's not like she never saw him anymore, but she's dedicated him to the Lord. And just remember, he's going to be a Nazarite. So guess what? He's never going to cut his hair. Think what he's going to be like when he's 15, 18, 20. What's he going to look like? <clears throat> Think about it. Now, quickly, <clears throat> I want you to see that when she, when she gives the son there, she then prays to God. It's called Hannah's Song of Thanksgiving. And it says, and Hannah prayed. And then we didn't read these verses earlier. I'm just going to go through them fairly quickly, but I want you to see something. I want you to see this prayer. It's called Hannah's Prayer. And <clears throat> she talks about God in eight ways. And I'm going to show them to you very quickly. You don't have to write this down. You can look at this yourself, but I want to show you this. This is what she does. She says, God brings salvation. She says, God is holy. She says, God is the rock. She says, God is all-knowing. She said, God gives the victory. She says, God is sovereign. She says, God is the judge. She said, God raises up the Messiah. That's in those 10 verses. That's her prayer. Now, think about our prayers. Do we pray like that? You know, we might pray, oh, Lord, give me a parking space, right? I mean, that's our prayers, right? I mean, what is he, she saying? She's saying the character of God. And if you thought about this, how powerful this is? And one great thing about it, as we go through this, and we're going through it very quickly, we're going to see God. And, you know, I love this morning, every song that we sang this morning dealt with the character and the person of God. Every one of the songs. So as you were lifting up your voices in praise and adoration, you were doing what Hannah did. She sang a song of prayer about the character of God. And this morning, you sang songs in prayer and in adoration of our God and Savior. So let's go through it quickly. Let's see this. We're going to see it, and I'm going to go through it really fast. But the first one is, she says, God brings salvation. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Hannah prayed and said, My Lord, my heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies because I rejoice in, <clears throat> in your salvation. And when you see the word salvation, almost every time people think we're talking about eternal life salvation, and it's not. In fact, over 90, 
almost 95% of the times in the Old Testament when you see the word salvation, it's dealing with a physical deliverance. It's not dealing with eternal life salvation. Very rarely. When she says, I rejoice in your salvation, I think she's saying, you've saved me from being a barren woman. You have given me a child. I think what she's mean by salvation there. Now, when we think about God as the Savior, he not only gives us eternal life, <clears throat> he saves us, takes care of us in our Christian lives, and he's going to come get us one of these days and take care of us in the future. God is the God of salvation. I think she's talking about, I rejoice in your salvation because you saved me from being a barren woman. You gave me the child. The second thing she says is that God is holy. And that's verse 2. It says, there is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one besides you. Now, holy means set apart. It means special. The Greek word for holy is hagios, which get the word saint. means set apart. God is set apart. First of all, he's not part of his creation. He is the creator, and his creation, he is set apart from that. The reason I bring that up is because I've heard some people say things like, you know, God is the air that I breathe. He is not the air that you breathe. He created the air that you breathe. God is not part of his creation. That would be pantheism. So God is the creator. He is set apart. He's also one who is sinless. He has no sin. He is the perfect, righteous God. Okay, then it's also in that same verse, it says God is the rock. If you notice at the very end of verse 2, nor is there any rock like our God. When you think of the word rock, it means the solid one, the foundation, the unchangeable, immovable God. God is the strong foundation. He is our rock. That's why Jesus said, build your house upon the rock. And he was referring to himself, the rock. And he's also unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is our rock. And he doesn't change. Aren't you glad God doesn't change? What if, what if God said this? Okay. I give you eternal life and you shall never perish. Is that right? But he said, oh, I changed my mind. I'm not giving you eternal life and you will perish. Aren't you glad he doesn't change? Aren't you glad that whatever he says always comes true, that he is the rock? He doesn't change. He is the eternal God who does not change. So we see that. Now let's get, here's the next one. And this is also in verse three. He is all knowing. Verse three says, boast no more proudly. Do not let arrogant come from your mouth for the Lord is a God of knowledge and with him actions are weighed. He knows everything. He knows everything. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows every aspect of our lives. Do you realize something? He knows you better than you know you. He created you. He knows your thoughts. You can't hide anything. You can't say, I'm not telling God this. He already knows. He knows everything. And let me tell you this. He knows that you would be here today. And not only that, he knows every other possibility of where you could be, be or be doing if you weren't here. He knows everything. It is beyond our comprehension. That's why in Psalm 139, David says, such knowledge is, is beyond me. I can't grasp it. We can't. So he knows everything. And we go a little further on in verse 4. God gives the victory. He says, the bows of the mighty are shattered, but the feeble gird on strength. He's basically saying he gives the victory. He always does. He, he destroys the enemy. And that's why in Philippians, he says, we can do all things through the one who gives us strength. Now, the next verses, let me put it up this way, in verses 5, 6, 7, and 8, show the idea of the God of sovereignty, that he raises up one and sits down one. Let me read for you the next verse. Look at uh, verse 5. It says, Those who were full hire themselves out for bread. Those who were hungry cease to be hungry. Even the barren gives birth to seven, and he who has many now is childless. 
The Lord kills, the Lord makes alive. The Lord brings to shield, the Lord makes up. The Lord makes poor, the Lord makes rich. The Lord brings low, the Lord exalts. He does it all. Those who are full are not full. Those who are hungry are now full. Those who are barren have birth. Those who are children have none. He says, God is the God who works all things and brings some things up and some things down. It is true that God is in control and he works all things according to the counsel of his will. And we can rest in that. We can rest that God is sovereign. And he's the God that... that takes things and does things differently. I mean, when you think about King David becoming the king, right? And you say, King David's the king. And, and Samuel is going to come and anoint David. But he doesn't know who it is. And the guy named Jesse has seven sons. And he sees the first one. And he goes, that must be the one. And God says, no. And the second one, no. And the third one, no. And the fourth one, no. And the fifth one, no. Sixth one, no. And he says, you got any more sons? He says, yeah, I got one. He's, he's the youngest and he's way out there taking care of the sheep. He's nothing. He said, bring him in. He's the one. He's the one. The greatest person who ever lived is Jesus Christ. Where was he born? In a palace? No, he's born outside in a stable, put in a feed trough. God always reverses the things. We, he, just, he, he always does things differently than we think. We can rest in the comfort that the perfect, holy, and righteous God is in control. His seven says he's the judge. In verses 9 and 10, it talks about he keeps the feet of the godly and the wicked and those kind of things. And in the middle of verse 10, he says, the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. We think about judge, sometimes we think bad. When you say the judge, he says, you got to stow before the judge. You go before the judge. Is he a good judge? Is, is, we're going to go before the judge, Jesus Christ. Is he a good judge? Is he the greatest? When you think about it, we're standing before Jesus Christ. There's two different aspects of judgment. There's a thing called the judgment seat of Christ, which is for believers. And then there's a thing called the great white throne judgment, which is for unbelievers. When we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, it is not for sin. Jesus Christ has already taken all sin and removed it as far as the east is the west. When we stand before Jesus Christ, it'll be for rewards. Will he say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we want to hear. So when we stand before him as the judge, we want to hear him say, well done. When the unbelievers stand before him at a thing called the great white throne judgment, as the unbeliever, they're not judged for sins either, by the way. Sins are all placed on Christ. They're judged because they did not believe in him. The book of life is open, and if their names are not found written in the book of life, the only way you can get in the book of life is by faith. Their names are not written there. They're cast in the lake of fire. I just wanted to show you that this is, uh, this is Jesus dying on the cross. This is the church age. This is the rapture. Most believe that the judgment seat of Christ is going to happen after we're raptured out and we get our rewards. We know that the great white throne judgment is going to be found at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ. It's found in Revelation chapter 20. That's for the unbeliever. This is for the believer. He is the judge of the world. And then there's one more. And then he raises up the Messiah. And verse 10 says, He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. The word anointed is Mashiach. It's Messiah. It's the Messiah. It's Jesus. It says he's going to be the one. She prays and says he will be the one who will lift up the Messiah, the Savior. 
And we know he did. Jesus Christ left the glories of heaven, came to the earth, died on the cross, paid for sin, rose again. Therefore, God has what? Highly exalted him and lifted him up as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that every knee will bow and every tongue will give praise to him. He indeed is the Messiah and the Savior. Now, we might pray, I hope I get a parking space. This is what she prayed, that God is the holy, all-knowing, unchanging, Savior God, sovereign over all, who gives victory and judgment through his Messiah. What might be a good idea is the next time, maybe this week, as an application, is look to this, this prayer of Hannah and maybe pray it yourself. Look through it and say, Lord, you are sovereign. You are the Savior. You are the rock. You are the Holy One. You are the one that lifts up and sets down. You are the one that brings the Messiah. You are the judge of the world. Powerful truths for us. So we see God answers the prayer. Hannah has the son. She dedicates him to the Lord. And we see Eli going, what am I going to do with this boy? And we're going to see what happens to Samuel in the next couple of chapters of some great things. Let's make some applications quickly. Let's, let's make our request known to God. That's what Hannah did. She prayed, and God answers prayer. That's why we do it. God is a God who answers prayer. We can come boldly to the throne of grace, Philippi, uh, Hebrews 4.12. The Philippians passage is to be anxious for nothing but everything by prayer and supplication. Let your request be made known to God. Lift them up. God is a God who answers prayers. Just remember that. It may be yes, it may be no, and it may be wait, but he answers prayers. The second thing is, let's keep our word. If you make a vow, keep it. In fact, Jesus didn't say, he didn't say make vows. He said, let's let your yes be yes and your no be no. And if you say, I'm going to do that, do it. You don't have to say, I swear, but let me just say this. Whatever you say, yes or no, keep your word. We want to be men and women of character who keep our word. The third thing is, just let's worship our great God. Now think about what we saw. Who is he? He's holy, unchanging, all-knowing, sovereign, judge of the earth. He is perfect, sovereign ruler. All will give an account. What has he done? He has sent the Messiah. He has raised him up. Jesus Christ died and rose again to be the Savior and to give us eternal life simply by faith.